This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. In the last few decades, higher education in Asia has seen rapid expansion of enrollment rates, institutional growth and change, an internationalization drive, and knowledge outputs that are comparable to many Western universities. Nevertheless, the topic of higher education in Asia remains mostly understudied. The same can be said of Asian higher education research and its communities, which continue to be underrepresented in the international higher education literature. My guest today, Hugo Horta, is an assistant professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong. He has recently co-edited a special issue of the journal Higher Education Policy on Higher Education Research in East Asia. The special issue presents an understanding of the evolution of higher education research communities in China, Hong Kong, Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan. The country-level studies distill the unique organization and evolution of higher education research communities, offering a window into the common and dissimilar challenges each country faces in constructing a higher education research community. Hugo Horta, welcome to Fresh Ed. Uh, Thank you very much for the invitation. Um, Looking forward to this discussion. You've recently co-edited a journal issue in higher education policy, uh, and you showcase different country-level studies of the evolution of higher education research communities in East Asia. Uh, As an entry point into this topic and into our conversation today, what was the impetus for putting this special issue together? Um, well, um, I have been uh, participating for a long time in Europe uh, in the higher education community there. And on uh, some years ago, I came to Asia for a conference. And I, um, in that conference, I realized that uh, the community here was much more emergent uh, than it was in Europe. Um, you know, in those conversations, in the conferences and so on, I started talking with colleagues and um, I decided to work or, or starting this idea of a project at that time uh, with a colleague, uh, which now is also uh, at Hong Kong U, uh, about, well, let's make a, a study to try to understand what's going on in Asia in terms of the higher education research. Um, there are plenty of studies already about the evolution of higher education research, uh, mainly in the United States, um, some in Europe, and uh, more and more studies were being developed there, uh, mostly uh, looking at how different or how similar um, the US and the European uh, higher education research was. Um, the Canadian uh, higher education research was also part of it, um, as some uh, as a community that is somewhere in the middle of these two communities, but um, I really couldn't find anything uh, substantial on what was going on in Asia. And I was thinking at that time, wow, um, higher education in Asia is developing at such a, a speedy pace. Uh, things are happening here. It's dynamic. We have uh, countries that are massifying their higher education systems. Um, And I was quite surprised that um, I wasn't seeing anything about uh, the higher education research community. 
already at that time, I was um, part of the editorial uh, team of higher education. And I remember that I browsed through it and I found a couple of uh, articles published um, about, uh, about Asia, about what was going on in specific countries. Um, but nothing really telling me, okay, uh, what is the characterization of this community? What is going on in terms of knowledge dynamics in the higher education research community? So um, I decided with this uh, colleague from Hong Kong to do a preliminary study. Later, in other conference, when we were presenting, um, a Japanese colleague um, contacted us and said, well, this is actually something that is missing and we should do something about it. Um, so we end up uh, organizing uh, a panel in a conference also in Hong Kong on comparative education, um, where we invited uh, some colleagues from different countries uh, to try to, at the first stage, look and characterize what was going on in their countries. Um, and through that, we made a collection of articles that are still a very initial uh, look or initial vision into what it is um, the current status of higher education research in East Asia and also what was uh, their development. Now, why East Asia? Uh, because in that preliminary study um, with my colleague, Jisung Jung, we noticed that uh, more than 50% of the international publications in higher education research in Asia come from East Asia. So we thought, okay, um, it, it's better if we start uh, looking uh, to these countries because they seem to be taking the lead um, rather than looking at countries where it's basically inexistent. Um, this was one of the reasons. Um, the other reason was because Basically, we had colleagues that were quite enthusiastic about it and told us, uh, look, if we're going to do this, we really need to look at uh, not only international publications, but we have to look at the national communities and national publications. We have to understand this from a development perspective and to what extent it's linked or not, or if it's linked in what way uh, to the way the higher education systems as a whole are evolving. And we, since we have higher education systems evolving in many different ways and in different stages of maturity, uh, we thought this would, would be a very good idea. Well, let's jump into the, the special issue here. You, you showcase um, countries in East Asia, specifically China, Hong Kong, Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan. Um, and you talk about how there are commonalities among this group of countries in terms of higher education research. What are some of those commonalities that you find? Right. Um, a, a clear commonality uh, in a very similar way to what happened in Europe is that a lot of the higher education research um, starts up as a sort of a study group that relates to the government or kind of a research institute that relates to uh, governmental policies um, in a way that supports those policies or try to understand to what extent 
these policies make sense or what happened to the implementation of these policies. This is very clear, uh, particularly in, in, in countries such as, as China um, and Japan and South Korea to a very large extent, uh, where you still have a very close proximity uh, between what the research community does and what the government policies are. Um, this happened the same, the same way in, in Europe. Uh, for example, um, uh, CHEPS in the Netherlands, which is a, a fairly known and, and reputable center, uh, started as an advisory uh, sort of research institute for the Dutch government. Uh, in Portugal, SIPS, uh, which also is a quite reputable center uh, in Europe, in the higher education research uh, community in Europe, also started the same way. Um, then gradually they start to, to move away from this uh, link with the government and start to uh, have its, their own standing. Now, another thing that is interesting is that in some countries, uh, this, the higher education community wasn't really able to develop as an independent community. So basically it was developed within uh, educational communities. Um, for example, you, you have um, in, in, in Korea, in South Korea, uh, a lot of the higher education research community is part of the education administration community. Uh, at this moment, in all of the Asian countries, there's not um, a single country where you can say, well, the higher education community really stands out um, on its own. Um, for example, in Taiwan, uh, the community was able to be created, but then um, did not work. It, is, it was dissolved. Um, so it's not so easy. It's also a problem of sustainability. Um, it, this is, is, is observed uh, in all of, of the countries. Now, one might say China, for example, um, might be uh, different in the sense that uh, Philip Altbach has a book uh, which is basically a repository of um, all the research centers in higher education. And China has more than 300. But the thing is, um, what is understood as a research center in higher education varies so much that um, it encompasses um, teams of two people, uh, two teams that in fact do institutional research, which is not really higher education, is different. Um, two teams that are basically supporting the teaching uh, office uh, in some universities. So calling them centers is, is always a bit doubtful. Um, I don't think, except in the case of Japan, that has a, a very unique center uh, for higher education, uh, RIE, at uh, the University of Hiroshima, I don't see in Asia uh, an organized research center in higher education. Uh, and even RIE, due to the financial constraints and the, the reforms done since the 2000s in Japan, uh, in my opinion, um, had to downgrade a lot uh, their activities and their standing as a research center uh, in part due to funding issues. So these similarities mainly are about the, the difficulty and the, the constraints that the higher education research 
field in each of these countries is experiencing. Let's turn to differences. Maybe there's a lot more that we could talk about um, in each of these countries. And, and let's start with perhaps the largest country in, in the grouping, China. Hmm. What's going on in China in terms of higher education research? China, as I mentioned, reported a surprisingly high number of research centers. As I also mentioned, they don't, the word center there, and in many other countries that are in the repository, do not really mean that they are organized centers. In China, higher education research mostly, I'm not saying all of it, but mostly, in my opinion, it's basically institutional research. Now, what is the difference between a higher education uh, research center and institutional research? Basically, institutional research, um, well, it's called research, but basically what they do is almost uh, a sort of a consulting work uh, for the management of the universities or for the government. So basically, um, they are commissioned to do um, some research work, um, something like, okay, uh, how come our university, um, what is the status of our university in comparison with that other university and that university B, C, D, F in those other countries or in this country? And basically an analysis is done saying, well, uh, we're faring quite well regarding uh, the number of students or the diversity of our student population, but our university is not so good uh, in terms of attracting funding or in terms of the scholarships that we offer. Um, this is called institutional research. Um, it basically research to support the management uh, of an institution, can be a university, can be anything else, or the government. Now, an higher education research center does more than this. Um, it basically studies the issues, and uh, it's not really interested if uh, one university uh, is doing better than other, or um, what is the standing of one country in relation to the other. Uh, it looks more in depth to um, how certain policies were implemented and what was the impact of those policies, or is trying to understand in the classroom, um, what is the best pedagogy um, to facilitate or to improve the student experience while they are in higher education? So the, the type of subjects, um, it, it's completely different on, on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, a, research, a higher education research center, um, you know, it's its agenda comes from a more academic perspective, an academic interest. Um, the issue of the graduates um, from higher education that are unable to get a job or that are underemployed, um, this is not necessarily uh, funded by anyone, but comes out of the societal interest. And, and you're doing it because uh, you know about the subject, you know it's important, and part of... Um, your duty as an academic is to contribute to society by looking at these things and try to understand uh, what are the dynamics behind it uh, and what can be done. Uh, so offering some uh, policy insights or at least uh, contributing to policy making, but in a more 
abstract in a more over overlooking way rather than being highly applied and say okay this is the issue and we recommend that you do this 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 to to cope with the situation which is what institutional research might do so um taking this into account china has a lot of these centers um a lot of the research work is basically commissioned by the government uh, at, at the various, various levels of government. Um, so a, a lot is a lot of the output then are reports. Um, and when you look at the the articles um, that are produced in China, they have a very uh, report feeling. It feels like they are a report and not necessarily a research article. Because, you know, uh, the source of information uh, and the purpose of the research uh, was commissioned uh, and, and the output was a report. So basically the papers or the articles that are produced end up being a sort of a summary of the whole of the whole report. And you see this for uh, some other countries as well. But, but China is this is happening uh, very strongly in China. Then to what extent? Um, what comes out in these reports um, is impartial or not is another question. Um, uh, I, 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 can't, I can't say this from my own uh, experience, but what some colleagues of mine tell me is that you see a lot of propaganda. So, in fact, uh, the higher education research ends up not being really research, um, but in a way it's, it's basic propaganda. Um, so uh, it raises some concerns about um, what is the research that is being produced at the moment. However, it serves a purpose. It serves um, basically the same purpose that it served in other countries uh, when the higher education research community started. So we can't say that the example of China is, is, is tremendously uh, uh, different in terms of the evolution that happened in other countries, um, but probably the link between uh, the higher education research community and the governmental level or the managerial level at universities is much stronger than it is in, in, in other countries. And let's turn to another country. Let's turn to Hong Kong, which is a special administrative region of China but has a wholly different context, and that's primarily because of British colonialism. Um, so what's going on in Hong Kong? Hong Kong, um, Hong Kong is always the outlier. Um, Hong Kong, for example, doesn't really have what we can call a, a local focus uh, in the sense that researchers uh, publish in, in, in national journals. Um, in Hong Kong, everybody publishes in international journals, although some, of, some part of the research community, of the higher education research community, publish in international journals about Hong Kong. A lot of the, a lot of the research that is done in Hong Kong is not necessarily about Hong Kong. It's much more geared towards issues that um, have an international interest. Um, also, the, the sort of issues are also quite different. Um, China, let me, let me add this about China because it's important. China is very much policy-oriented still. So a lot of the research focuses on policies. 
So what was the result of a policy? Um, what are the conditions for an eventual policy on, let's say, uh, scholarships can be and so on and so forth? Not so much on the teaching and learning component. Now, in Hong Kong, um, the teaching and learning component is much, much stronger. Uh, why? Um, it, it relates to the challenges that Hong Kong faces. Uh, Hong Kong uh, has a quite internationalized higher education system. Um, it lives in this tension between um, the integration with, with mainland China and at the same time keeping the door open to the world. Um, so it's, it's a special place. Um, it attracts students from all over the place. It still attracts faculty from all over the place. Um, so it has a huge diversity. And to cope with it, um, a lot of the focus is on uh, the teaching and learning component of higher education research. Mainly, a lot of the focus is on the student experience uh, at university. So what is the best ways for the students to learn how to cope with student diversity in class and provide them with the best possible experience? One of the reasons also why the, in Hong Kong the publications tend to be basically international come, comes also from the fact that the evaluation of the universities really underlines international publications. So that is a major incentive um, for the faculty, no matter from wherever they are, to publish uh, in international journals. So when you see um, the number of articles published in international um, uh, literature uh, from Hong Kong uh, in relation to some of the other countries, uh, it's overwhelming. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken on this, uh, Hong Kong publishes two times more internationally in higher education research than Japan which is the second um, highest uh, publishing country in higher education research in Asia. So it's pretty strong. It's, it's international component at all levels is pretty much strong. And it's, it's related to the cosmopolitan, cosmopolitan uh, feature of the higher education system there. And switching to another part of China, perhaps, uh, Taiwan. <laughs> What's going on in Taiwan? Yeah, Taiwan has, a, has, a, has an interesting uh, story in the sense that uh, Taiwan was one of the countries where the community started attempted to create um, an independent, uh, self-standing community. Um, it, it evolved substantially in terms of its detachment to us, uh, from, from governmental um, service only. Uh, but the problem is they still face quite a lot of, um, of obstacles. Uh, one of it relates in this case, um, as in other cases, but I think it's, it's fairly evident in, in the Taiwanese case, um, the, the, resistant of, the resistance of the universities to, to provide uh, incentives, funding for, for these communities to, to establish themselves um, in the university. Um, and, and this is a problem that actually is uh, similar to what happens in Europe. Um, it's, it's very dif difficult um, for, for example, someone to be hired um, as an higher education researcher. 
I mean, uh, academic positions do not open for higher education researchers. Um, they open, for example, in education, and then for some reason, um, you do higher education research and you are hired. Um, the issue with this, and this is very clear in, uh, I think, in my opinion, in, in, in the paper, in the special issue by Shan Nushan and Ying Chan, is that, you know, if the universities don't hire like this, they are never able to create a critical mass. So basically what you have is a lot of fragmentation with people in different universities um, suffering from, you know, the inherent pressures from the universities, from their departments to do certain things. And if you don't have this institutional support um, for some of your scholars to be able to focus on um, higher education research in this, in this case, then it's much more difficult for you to really build up on whatever you've done so far and, and create a community. Um, this is uh, an issue that happens in Asia more right now than in Europe. Maybe because in Asia, and especially in East Asia, uh, the development is still in a much more uh, initial stage. So basically, when you do an analysis of publications, for example, in Asia, you start at country level and you see, okay, the numbers are not too big. Then you start looking, okay, let's look at the institutional level. Uh, and the numbers are not too impressive. And when you try to understand through social network analysis and whatnot, to what extent these institutions or countries really have integrated communities, you end up finding out that higher education research exists in all of these countries based on the individual will of some academics. And um, it's these few academics that are spread out, uh, I wouldn't say even in the same country, but spread out in, in the region that really makes make out the community. But we were talking about very small number of people. I mean, um, I'm not sure about the number exactly, but they're around like 10 to 15, no more, that publish constantly about higher education, that interact with the colleagues in other countries, and which really make out the community. The other ones end up only contributing sporadically to the field. And, and this is very problematic in the sense that if you don't have a routine, if you don't have a system of constant contribution to the field, uh, of building an identity, of building trust, uh, of, of building a body of knowledge, it's very difficult to then come up to the management of universities and say, look, this is what we created. I think this can be a strategic area for the university. And we can contribute not only for this university, but we can contribute for the country and for the region. Um, so far, uh, that hasn't happened in, in, in East Asia. And, and Taiwan um, the, represents a very good example of these difficulties, of, of a community that tried, that had a lot of enthusiasm, that was very much focused on on several issues that came up um, with the massification of higher education in Taiwan, being one of the most important ones, uh, the quality, uh, quality assurance, uh, but that then um, faced these obstacles and right now 
faces even greater obstacles as there are uh, a declining number of students entering uh, higher education due to the aging of the population. So um, for higher education research, as a community, uh, the challenge in some of these countries, particularly the countries where um, universal uh, higher education was achieved, uh, basically meaning that a substantial part of the population already uh, has a, a, a tertiary education degree and that a substantial number of the, of the entry population uh, is attending higher education, the challenge will be even greater. The challenge uh, in terms of growth in comparison, for example, with China, which is still massifying the system very quickly, uh, the challenge there, it's, it's easier. Uh, but then again, this requires time. So it's, it's a race against the clock. And what about Japan, which also has an aging population? Right. Um, Japan, um, well, Japan, uh, the higher education community um, was more internationalized, in my opinion, than it is today. I, I think because of um, funding constraints, reforms, um, and even the social economic um, challenges that Japan as a country is facing, I think there was a reentrenchment, and Japan is facing a bit more inwards currently than outwards, although Japan was a country that uh, had its uh, higher education system very influenced by, by the West um, since the Meiji era. Um, so basically, still, Japan is the only country that really has a, a, a very solid um, higher education uh, center. It has been an influence uh, to the other um, neighboring countries in East Asia, without a doubt. It continues to maintain very strong links uh, with Southeast Asia. So it's one of the countries, well, uh, if we consider Hong Kong as well, uh, that maintain the most links with the Asian community um, as a whole. Uh, in this case, I'm not only talking about East Asia, but as a whole. Um, maybe partly is, is due to the fact that there was always, after the Second World War, uh, an intention of Japan to contribute um, to the development um, of, of, of several countries in the region. Um, and, and maybe some funding from JICA and whatnot contributed to this. Uh, but the thing is, um, Japan maintains a, 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 seri a series of international links that are still alive, but uh, they are diminishing. More concerning in the case of Japan is um, that the younger generation, I mean, you go to conferences um, and you don't see uh, really a, a new generation of higher education researchers in Japan that is participating in the international scene. You see mostly higher education researchers that are in the mid-career or already with a very senior position. Um, I believe this is related to, uh, to the constraints that uh, the Japanese higher education system is, is facing at the moment, also with an aging population and so on and so forth. Japan, interestingly, like China, also has his higher education research very much focused on policies. Um, 
it is possible that part of the reason is that also a lot of the higher education research work that is done in Japan is also uh, sponsored by the government. Um, this is how I understand it. Um, when we, when you look, for example, when you do an analysis of of these countries and the relationship of uh, the evolution of these countries, measured by the enrollment rates and their international uh, publication, what you see is that the ones who correlate the less is Japan and and China, because they are much more focused also on their own uh, country. Partly is due to the fact that there is this greater proximity between uh, management, government, and uh, the higher education research community, but also, and I think this is important, um, they're, in terms of population, they're quite big countries. So they also have a, a larger national audience than some of the other countries, which needs to rely on, on a more international base um, to survive and, and to acquire uh, new knowledge. And let's turn to the last country, South Korea, which has been making the news of late about the student protests over the proposed changes to the national textbooks. Right. Um, what's, what's going on in South Korea? Um, South Korea, well, the, the, the national textbook is, is, is a quite polemic issue. Um, which has been involving, actually, uh, academics, uh, not only from the higher education research community, but from uh, from other fields in, in education. Um, well, but uh, the issue happens in, in many other countries, which is the fact that um, uh, history is, is written and rewritten in accordance to what the political will is. Um, and it's these sort of things that is highly problematic. Um, and it's this is a very good example of why higher education research should exist, so that these sort of things do not happen. Because um, if we don't have an impartial, critical look into what is happening in any phenomenon in society, but in this case, in higher education phenomena, what you might have later on is a completely write-up of the phenomena to uh, benefit um, some people or some ideas uh, when it's actually not probably the truth. Um, in terms of the higher education uh, research in, in, in Korea, um, very strong national community, uh, but once again, completely subservient to other uh, communities that are much more established. So South Korea is an example of um, a country where the higher education research communities under uh, communities such as um, education administration. Uh, it doesn't exist on its own right. Um, most of the South Korean research or participation in higher education research at international level is also done by, on a constant basis, a group of probably three to four scholars. Um, then you have participations from the community here and there, but a lot of it, um, it's not acknowledged, it's not known in the international scene because they're also focusing in the national conferences, in the national associations, 
and um, they publish in the, interna in, the, in the national journals. Very similar, and oh, I, I did mention this about Japan. Uh, the, the case of Korea and Japan in this sense are very, very similar. Very strong national communities of education where the higher education research community is one but one of the fields. And a lot of the publications happen in, um, in, in national journals. A lot of it sometimes in uh, journals from the institutions. So uh, a lot of it also looking very much like, in the Chinese case, to reports. Because a lot of it is also commissioned by the governments, by research institutes, uh, linked to the government, or by the universities. Um, and they, they, they simply fit into these uh, national journals, which I'm not criticizing in any way. They're, they're a very important part of a community. But um, the problem when you're or, or the challenge when you try to make these communities to be more international is that um, then they, they are unable to write a research paper following the criteria that usually the international journals are asking for. So uh, Korea has, uh, the community in Korea has this, this issue. Once again, like in Taiwan uh, and like in Japan as well, um, nobody hires uh, anyone uh, that says, well, yes, nobody opens, no, not a single university open, opens a vacancy saying, oh, we need someone that researches higher education research. Basically, they open um, uh, openings in some other fields and uh, by luck or by the fact that they are the best candidates, uh, people who are doing higher education research are hired and they continue to do higher education research or not. Hugo Horta, thanks for joining Fresh Ed. Thank you very much for uh, having me in. Thank you. Hugo Horta is an assistant professor at the University of Hong Kong. He recently co-edited a special issue of Higher Education Policy. Next week, I speak with Vasil Rizvi about Western discourses on the rise of education in Asia. Fresh Ed is brought to you by the Globalization and Education Special Interest Group of the Comparative and International Education Society. If you want to highlight your research on FreshEd or give us feedback on the show, please send an email to gesig.ciees at gmail.com. The opinions expressed on FreshEd are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not CIES or the Globalization and Education SIG, which take no institutional positions. Original music for FreshEd was created by Digital Primate. Like what you heard on the show today? Please be sure to review and subscribe to Fresh Ed on iTunes, Stitcher, or Player FM. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.